everyone. My name is Grace Beatty, and welcome to Wicked Women, the podcast. On this podcast, I will be discussing with leading experts some of history's most infamous and maligned women. Within each episode, I do not look to excuse or dispute the wrongs committed by some of these women, but I do strive to bring a more holistic and rounded understanding of each particular woman's story. Step back in time and come on this journey with me as we discover the lives and legacies of these fascinating women. In today's episode, I will be featuring Aspasia, an educated philosopher from ancient Greece, married to the famous Greek politician Pericles. Joining me to discuss Aspasia is Professor Yvonne Korshak, a historian with a focus on ancient Greece and author of the novel Pericles and Aspasia. I have an excellent mistress in the art of rhetoric, she who has made so many good speakers, Plato. I marvel that Aspasia, who is only a woman, should be able to compose such a speech. She must be a rare one. Menexenus by Plato. The ancient Greeks loom large in history, responsible for architectural wonders like the Parthenon, the Temple of Zeus, and Olympia, cultural institutions such as democracy, the Olympic Games, libraries, and the modern study of history, and historic figures such as Alexander the Great, Sappho, Plato, Socrates, Aristotle, and many more. However, there is one woman who loomed large on the Greek political and philosophical stage who has been relegated to the shadows of history, Aspasia a highly educated woman who married the powerful politician Pericles, became a mentor and teacher to Socrates, and faced ridicule from society and her husband's political opponents. She was compared to Helen of Troy and blamed for everything from famine to war to her husband's political decisions. After her death, her legacy forked between an uppity concubine and a gifted scholar. But in recent generations, She has been all but forgotten. As is the case for most women in antiquity, Aspasia's early life is shrouded in mystery. Believed to have been born no earlier than 470 AD, she does not appear in the historical record until after her arrival in Athens. What is unique about Aspasia's early life is that by the time she appears in history, she is highly educated a rarity for women across all levels of ancient Greek society. For Professor Ivan Korshak, this provided frustration as a historian, but amazing potential as a novelist. If you, I don't know how well you can picture in your mind the Aegean Ocean, which is an offspring of the Mediterranean. And today, Greece is on one side of the Mediterranean and Turkey is on the other. But in those days, Greece encompassed both coasts of the Mediterranean, East Greece and West. She was born in a town called Miletus in East Greece. Somehow, all we know is she did, she sailed, no other way to do it, she sailed across the Aegean and landed in in, um, Athens. And she was educated. 
We don't know how she was educated. In my novel, Pericles and Aspasia, it is a, my novel is very uh, uh, truthful to history. You can rely on it. If you want to learn about ancient Athens and the Golden Age, you can feel your learning because I'm true to history. But the characters are fictional, fictionalized. And so uh, I have this character to work with, Aspasia. I've give, told you some of what we know about her. Not much more. But she certainly was educated, but we don't know how. So in my novel, I have it that her father, who didn't make it to Athens, but loved her, was a philosopher. Because this part of Greece, East Greece, was famous for philosophy. So I, I do give her a philosopher father, but we don't know that for a fact. Somehow, she was cherished. An only child in the family, no boys, perhaps. Aspasia was born in East Greece, a world where culturally women tended to receive more education and opportunities. Yvonne thinks this could also lead to her unique educational knowledge later in life. And in East Greece, women had a little more freedom than over in Athens. Somehow she, she had a fine upbringing, an elegant upbringing, if you will, and a fine education. So, but she used it. She used it. But you know, there were other great women from her part of the world, East Greece, who also did stand out. One of them is Sappho. Sappho the poet. Sappho the poet comes from not far from where Aspasia came from. She was a little earlier, a little before Aspasia. We think of her as a poet. Sappho wrote songs, really. They were, they were music. We don't have the music, so we know the words. We, the words came down through the... Imagine the words come down through the centuries on papyri. You know, it's just astonishing that we have any of that. But we do have poems of Sappho. She certainly had a great influence. She was well-known, um, respected, and... Um, she had a different kind of impact from Aspasia. She was, as an artist, she had an artist's impact. So that would be uh, another woman to think about from this early period. But Aspasia was at the heart of the great creative flowering of classical Athens. When democracy, this is, as I mentioned before, Pericles and democracy, this is the world's first great democracy. This is the time when history is written for the first time. This is a period of new philosophy, although philosophy had, had a little had deeper roots in the past. The Parthenon, I don't know how many of your viewers can picture in their mind the great Acropolis in Athens with the glorious Parthenon on top. The Parthenon was built. In fact, in my novel, it's almost a character. At the beginning of the novel, Aspasia, wanting to continue the little contact she had with Pericles, seizing an opportunity, climbs the Acropolis and finds Pericles there discussing how they're going to build it with 
the great sculptor Phidias and the architect of the Parthenon. It's just a foundation. In the course of the novel, as Pericles and Aspasia spin out their lives within the context of the Golden Age, the Parthenon gets built. In other words, at the beginning, it's a foundation of flat stone. By the end, it's all there, and the last chapter of my novel is called The Parthenon in Moonlight, because Pericles and Aspasia go and see the great sculptures that finish the Parthenon in place. So all these things happened at this time, and she was at the heart of it. Comedic plays from her lifetime suggests that during her early years in Athens, she worked as a hetaira, or courtesan, and operated her own brothel. Many historians today question if she was a madam, but it is still widely accepted that she was a hetaira, either before or when she met Pericles. As Yvonne states, She was, in fact, what the Greeks called a hetaira. And a hetaira, we don't have a perfect translation, but if you think of a courtesan or geisha, somewhere in there, a woman who entertains, it has a little more tone than an out-and-out prostitute, but she was considered really a prostitute. And so I imagine that here was Aspasia, newly come to town, and... Uh, she would have been, as I said before, a hetaira, a courtesan, a, a, a flirt, looking, let's face it, looking for, not looking for a man who could take care of her, because what could a woman be alone? They needed a man's, she needed a man's protection. So I imagine she would have been, and in my book this happens, she would have been at one of these parties. And Pericles, who was not a party-goer, he was a little uh, serious kind of guy, didn't, didn't do a lot of going around. It's actually said that he didn't, but still, he got to the party. He got to my symposium, put it that way. And luckily, he came when symposium. And there, you know, I imagine that Aspasia spoke up. There was another courtesan there who was shyer and played the flute and just looked pretty, but Aspasia entered into the conversation. She said stimulating things, and he, he who loved learning, Pericles was a man who loved learning, would have been taken by a woman who had such knowledge, wit, quickness, so in my, in my imagination, and frankly, I think this is not too far from what must have happened, though we never can be sure, uh, they met in such a situation, and he was taken by her real unique, exciting personality. And he fell in love, and he divorced. This was a very brave thing for him to do. He divorced his citizen wife. You know, her, she came from the right family, and she had money, dowry, and the whole, the whole establishment thing. He divorced her in order to live with Aspasia. However, we, lest you fear for the wife, discard it, have no fear. 
She landed more than on her feet. She, this happens in my book. She married, after that, the man she had always loved. This is in history. Who happens to have been the richest man in Athens. So she she came out okay in her terms. And Pericles, and Pericles had his Aspasia. At the time that Aspasia met Pericles, he was one of the most powerful men in Athens, leading the city both politically and militarily. Some scholars call a time he was in power as the age of Pericles. After meeting Aspasia sometime around 452 to 441 AD, Pericles shocked politicians and citizens alike by not only divorcing his wife, but marrying Aspasia, a woman whom many believed to be a sex worker. But Pericles did not marry Aspasia and then relegate her to the house. He saw her as his partner, both intellectually and emotionally. This was a surprise to most ancient Greeks. As Yvonne points out, In a period where women were living extremely under the thumbs of their male relatives, living very confined lives, hardly leaving the house, except for religious ceremonies, which were their great outlet, and that was a real outlet for them. But nevertheless, uh, they really lived very small, narrow, controlled lives. And Aspasia was truly, we would say it today, and it would have been true then, she was a liberated woman. She sought to live freely, to live richly in the sense of taking in all that life has to offer. She was a remarkable, uh, really iconoclast, going against the grain, doing what other women did not have the opportunity to do. It is remarkable, and as I found out about her, and... I have to admit, I was taken by the romance. I still am. Um, the, the that Pericles, who was such an establishment power, gave up really risk. He didn't give up, but he risked giving up his reputation and his political power because the rest of the Athenians looked at this woman Aspasia with askance. She was criticized. She was pilloried. You may know that the ancient Greeks, the Athenians, had theater. And the Greek theater is well known for its tragedy. But they had comedy. And who was the butt of the jokes? Aspasia. And they were vulgar jokes. Now, I guess it's a saving grace. You, you, you decide. On the one hand, she didn't have to hear those jokes in the theater. Why? Because women were not allowed in the theater. So she didn't have to sit there and hear herself made really, a, a, with vulgarity, a fool. But Pericles had to sit there, and he had to take it. But he did, because he was so stricken by Aspasia's intelligence, so in love with her a free way of being. So he, he sat there, he took it, and uh, she too, of course, had to absorb it, but their love endures. There's a very famous scene that was recorded in history that I incorporated fictionally in my book, 
where Pericles goes to the assembly. The assembly was, you know, like our Congress. Only Greece, it was face-to-face. -face. It was the citizens, not our rep, not like we vote for representatives. They went there. The Greek citizens, who were all men, went to the assembly. And they and that's where the democratic assembly, how it worked. And um, Pericles, for example, wanted to raise money to build the Parthenon. And he had conservative opposition who said he was you know, spending too much money. And how did they put it? They put it with allusion to Aspasia. They, this particular opponent said, Pericles, in front of the whole Athenian community, Pericles, you are, I'm going to use a bad word. I hope it's okay on the podcast. He said, Pericles, you are wasting the wealth of our empire. You are wasting the gold of our city on thousand talent the talent was the a unit of money measure a thousand talent temples you are bedecking our city like a whore you are like a beast this happened in the assembly you are like you pericles and this is face to face you pericles are like a besotted lover bedecking your whore and everybody knew that he was this was alluding to, to Aspasia because he had been giving her gifts. In my novel, you can bet, he gives her gifts. And uh, so, yes, it was very precarious. He pulled it, he, he, he constantly had to fight to maintain his position and um, maintain his, what, he, what mattered to him, his policies. He felt his policies were the best for Athens. But he had to fight that kind of lurid attack in the assembly, in full view of the entire society, in order to make, but he did. She worried, you know, how long is he going to put up with this? When will he have to get rid of me, so to say, in order to, to, to pursue his goals for, for, the, for Athens, his great goals for democracy, she worries. But he never, he never lets her down. He, and she doesn't let him down. No. It's, 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 it's well, now you, you ask why, why I wanted to do it. That's why. But I mean, all of that. Pericles and Aspasia seemed devoted to each other. They had political and philosophical debates together and surrounded themselves with poets, philosophers, artists, and musicians from throughout the ancient Greek world. They also raised a son, who would go on to follow his father into politics. Yvonne discusses the significance of Aspasia's son in her later life. I believe that she persuaded him to call the child even though he was legitimate, she, it's complicated, the Athenian law, but she came from abroad, so she couldn't be a citizen, so her son couldn't be a citizen. So he was, in a sense, illegitimate boy. He, he became the best. Of, Pericles had three sons, two with his first wife, and this one. And this one that he had with Aspasia was the only one who, who fulfilled, really, a, a very manly life. The others were kind of goof-offs. But um, is she persuaded him, I'm sure, because he did it, to call the boy 
Pericles after himself because she would have felt that was a protection for him, that he needed protection, and he would have the protection of the fa famous name of his famous and powerful father. So there's young Pericles who grows up. Pericles is much is considerably older than she is, and also there was a terrible plague in Athens. There was a great war, the Peloponnesian War, it's called. And at the beginning of the war, people were crowded into the city. And this crowding caused a plague. Pericles died in his 60s of the plague. But Aspasia did not. Young Pericles lived on. So for, the, for several decades after that, she was alive and would have seen her son, who in fact grew up to be the highest, the highest position in Athens was to be a general. It was military, but it was political too. It was just, you know, if you really want influence, to be a general. Elected generals, they were elected. And you had to keep running every year. It was nerve-wracking. <laughs> you never got to be comfortable in your position. But at any rate, uh, Pericles' son, young Pericles, grew up to be a general. But the other two boys died in the plague. One of evidence is that her son, who was only about 14 when Pericles died, did grow up and to become a very important man in Athens. So that indicates that Aspasia had at least some kind of secure situation, some kind of um, enough stature that she, she didn't uh, stop. She, she wasn't in his way. She probably promoted I will tell you, they have found uh, evidence, an inscription, that Aspasia uh, dedicated a golden cup on the Athenian Acropolis in the Parthenon. And that's all is known. But I wonder, why did she dedicate that golden cup? Might it have been to honor her son when he became elected general like his father before him. I think that's possible. So anyhow, the evidence of the success of the boy is evidence for Aspasia being okay. And the other evidence is it's in those later years that we have these um, memories of her, these accounts really, of her teaching Socrates. These, these would come from the later years because Socrates was a very young man when Pericles was alive. So she would have been engaging with the philosophers really a couple of decades after the death of Pericles. So she seems to have lived in Athens and seems to have been able to get by in a, in a respectful way somehow and raise this boy to become a leader. It is still unknown where or when Aspasia died, but she had already left a mark on ancient Greece. She was often remembered in society in two distinct ways, the villain or the philosopher. Here's Yvonne. But you know, another thing about Aspasia, I mean, there's, if you, if you look at what has come down to us from the ancient world, on the one hand, we have these, well, literary texts, comic plays that 
that and also references to them that are as I described. They 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 blame her for war, like Helen of Troy. She's seen as the instigator not of one war but of two. So in early earlier part of her life in Athens, she came from elsewhere, but she 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 came to Athens and Hercules in the early earlier part of her life. There's there's more emphasis on her as the butt of the jokes, as a vulgar trope. But later in life, she seems to have made important connections with the great ph- philosophers of the time. In particular, we have records of her, or recorded texts at least of her records is maybe a little too strong to say, but we have literary documents that show. She conversed with Socrates. In fact, she was imagined to yes, she was imagined to be his teacher. She taught Socrates. In particular, she taught Socrates how to to, to speak in public. Yes, and、um, it's it's a public face that is so amazing for the period. And、um, Plato, the philosopher who. Um, I imagine you know wrote dial- the dialogues where Socrates appears. So it was really Plato who wrote Aspasia into these dialogues, conversing with the famous philosopher Socrates and teaching him how to how to be a public speaker. And also, others other writers of, the, of Plato's time speak of her as a very wise woman. And of all things, they, I say this because of the scandal of her early life. She was with Pericles、uh, as his courtesan. So,、um, in spite of that, which scandalous aspect, as I mentioned, she's shown as a wise teacher of Socrates. And others say this is this is ironic. Others say she was a great teacher of.、Um, Mutual love and respect in marriage. She was kind of depicted as a marriage counselor, somebody who could help you out in 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 working out your problems.、Um, yeah, you know, it's it's really astonishing. And as I say, there are these two sides of what's come down to us about her. One, the scandal, and the other, this wise philosophical woman. Wherever the truth lies, somewhere in between. Well, no, I wouldn't say somewhere in between. She really did go against、uh, the norms of of、um, the relationships between men and women in her time. That's true. And evidently, she really did converse with philosophers. That evidently is true too. And other women didn't do either of those things. So it, it she really is a, a bright. Star in a difficult time for women is an icon, and、um, and I think that's thanks to Plato. It's it's not thanks to the comedians who made such terrible fun of her. They also even mocked. Although I've never known exactly what they meant, but they even sort of made fun of the way she looked. Like they they said she was dog-eyed. I don't know what they mean, but it doesn't sound nice. But So I don't think it was the the tradition for the comic writers. It was Plato. Plato's tradition, the 
Plato, after all, has survived. We have enormous amounts of Plato's writing. It's amazing how century after century after century, these books were copied in manuscripts. This is before printings. They were handwritten out and handed down generation to generation. They were studied. They were commentary. There are commentaries on them. So Plato kept and was never disappeared from Western culture. He has always been, even in the Middle Ages when Greece was less central than at other times when classical Greece got a little bit forgotten. But no, Plato was always central, and he writes about her in this kind of wise woman gives her a kind of aura of wisdom. Intelligence, and as I mentioned, great as a public speaker of all things, for in a time when women didn't make public speeches, so it's come down to our time through really Plato. For Ivan, Aspasia is much more than just a woman from antiquity. She provides a template for women today to see how we can love ourselves for our intelligence, our abilities, and our individuality. Breaking down barriers in our past to become heroes of our own stories. And of course, today I'm really amused. You know, there are such a variety of images of Aspasia today. So here's two extremes. If I know we're we're not looking at this, but if I can paint the picture for you. On the one hand, there is the very strong feminist work of art. By the artist Judy Chicago, who made an enormous, complicated, in glaze ceramic, glaze clay, work of art that's called the dinner party. And at the dinner party, this current artist Judy Chicago. This actually goes back of a few decades, but. Well, late twentieth century, at the dinner party, there is a plate, a place setting, for what she felt were all the great strong women of the past. And,、uh, for instance, there's a plate for Queen Hatshepsut, who wrote, who ruled Egypt for a while, and other, and Sappho would has a plate. So. Aspasia has a place setting, but it's a very modernistic idea, and each place setting has a fundamentally vaginal structure. You don't realize it at first, but it, they, that's part of the conception of the place setting. But still, if you just looked at it cursorily, you'd see a plate and a, you know, knife and fork and spoons and a cup. But each one different, each referring. So that's a very modern and、um, assertive image of Aspasia. But the other day I came upon a painting. I have to find it again, but I will describe it to you. So on the one hand you have this tough-minded. On the other hand you have this modernish, not a little earlier picture of a kind of idyllic Greek scene. Very romantic, with columns and a beautiful, soft, romantic vista of the ocean, 
And there is a picture of Aspasia, who we don't know what she looked like, in a white, flowing, columnar-like gown, reading a book. Beautiful, of course. Heaven forbid there be a character in a novel who's not beautiful. I give her a bump in her nose. I'm sick to death of all these over-beautiful women. Yeah. I'm sure she was attractive, but nobody ever said she was gorgeous. But anyhow, in this picture, this soft, romantic, appealing, you know, sort of luscious fantasy. So now and today, you can find the extremes of this lush um, kind of mythic fantasy idea of Aspasia and this tough-minded, serious, thoughtful representation of Aspasia where a woman's sexuality is not masked like the tail of a, of a mermaid with a lot of flowing gowns. So there's a big contrast today. But either way, you know, even in the romantic picture, she's reading a book. So you see quite a range, but wish, I wish we had a picture of her. We don't have a picture from her, of her from antiquity. As I say, I did... I, I didn't emphasize her beauty. I do, yeah, I make her beautiful, and he thinks she's gorgeous. And, but I didn't, I didn't, I didn't want the appeal of this woman to be just because she's so gosh darn pretty. Because I don't think there were a lot of pretty women that, that Pericles could have known. His own wife sure was very pretty. He wanted her. So why? And people will always think of her as as an, a woman who managed to live an independent life in a time when the odds were staked against her on that, and who overcame obstacles, who overcame the obstacles, and who kept her eye on the sparrow, uh, she wasn't single-minded. She she was a woman who loved. She loved her Pericles. She loved her child. But she also loved herself. And she gave herself a genuine place in the world. So, and, you know, I think that's an inspiration for women. Because even today, when so much has happened, I think women... The way society is set up, it can still be confusing. Especially young women have so much on their plates, and and so so often, you know, it may sound archaic to say it, but I think it's not archaic. So often, a woman is thinking about who will I marry, how will how will I have children, and so on. So we need inspirations, and Aspasia is an inspiration. For women, I recently—I never realized it. Recently, I noticed that I had written an article about Aspasia as a feminist heroine, and I changed it to Aspasia as a feminist hero.